All right, Faye. So one of the things that I'm really excited about is this recently released CHAPS trial. And I saw on the OBG project that they've got a great summary out already. Yeah, so if you want to keep up to date to all those studies that are coming out, not only at OBGYN, but also other practice-changing studies and other specialties, make sure you go onto the OBG project and sign up so that you can keep up to date. Fourth-year residents can get the premium project, OBG First, absolutely free. It allows you to create your own library, save resources for you to be able to access later, as well as see something like the second trimester ultrasound atlas that lets you get brushed up on all those images that are going to show up on your written boards. And of course, if you are a resident in general, you can get their core curriculum uh, on their website. So make sure you go ahead and go onto our website to figure out a little bit more about how to sign up for the OBG project and also how to sign up for OBG first. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Kriyaz over coffee. All right. So today, Faye, we're going to keep going on our landmark trial series um, and focus in on the twin birth study, as we hinted at when we talked about the uh, term breach study. So what are our learning objectives? Yeah, so today we're going to review the twin birth study and its objectives, and then we're going to uh, go into the other two things that we always talk about after studies, which is number one, understand why we do what we do and why the second twin is the only breach that we do with any sort of routine these days. Um, we're going to compare the differences between this study and its singleton study companion, the term breach trial as well. All right, Nick, so start us off. Um, give us some background on this. You know, as, as all studies that we've talked about, it wasn't actually called the twin birth study, right? No, not at all. So this was published in the New England Journal uh, on October 3rd, 2013. And the actual title there was A Randomized Trial of Planned Caesarean or Vaginal Delivery for Twin Pregnancy. Um, the twin birth study is the name of the study collaborative that covered it. And so it's had the, like, I think much more easy moniker of the twin birth study since then. So as you talked about, Faye, a couple of weeks ago, we covered the term breach trial. Um, and that study looked at the benefit of cesarean versus planned vaginal delivery for breach presentation of singletons. And remember, that was published in 2000. So this study now is 13 years after that when it was ultimately published. Around that time of the term breach trial through the 90s and 2000s, there actually was a really significant rise in twin births in the U.S. And this was attributed to two main factors. Uh, first, advancing maternal age, where twinning is just more common in general, even spontaneously. And then secondly, the increasing use of reproductive technology, specifically ovulation induction and IVF. Um, so we're seeing more twin births through the 90s and 2000s, and then along comes the term breach trial. So in the wake of the term breach trial in 2000, as well as some observational studies that look specifically at twins, there was concern that these risks that we saw in the term breach trial could be extended to twins. Um, and practice was changing with singletons, as we discussed. And in 1995, about 54% of twin births were by cesarean section, but by 2008 in the United States, that had gone all the way up to 75% of twin wow. births being uh, by C-section. 
So, but not all observational studies were in agreement about the risk specifically of breach extraction of the second twin. So, because of that, and to answer that question about whether that was safe, a new study was planned and performed. This was done by the Twin Birth Study Collaborative Group, which, similar to that term breach study, was a large multinational collaborative with the main site again at the University of Toronto and again funded by the Canadian Institutes of Health Research. Um, so not only was it like a similar research question, but also the same people and the same funding source. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of will hint at this basically, but you're going to note a lot of similarities, but also a couple of very important differences between this study and the term breach trial. Um, and so if you've got a journal club planned where you look at landmark papers, um, or if you're just interested, we totally recommend doing kind of a compare contrast session. Ultimately, kind of for our final background question, we talk about the research objectives. In this case, from the study, it was to compare the risk of fetal or neonatal death or serious morbidity between strategies of planned cesarean or planned vaginal delivery for twin pregnancies between 32 weeks and 38 weeks and six days if the presenting twin was in cephalic presentation. Faye, with that background, that sort of setup, let's start talking about methods and how they did this. Yeah, so we'll divide this up again into, you know, who was in the study, how do they do the study, and what outcomes were they looking for. So in terms of who participated, um, they recruited their subjects between December 13th of 2003 and April 4th of 2011 at 106 centers in 25 countries, which, um, if you recall from the term breach trial, is very similar. Lots of centers, multiple, multiple countries. They ended up enrolling 1,392 patients in the planned C-section group and 1,392 patients, so same number of patients, in the planned vaginal delivery group. To be eligible for the study, you had to have a twin pregnancy between 32 weeks and 38 weeks and 6 days. The first twin had to be cephalic, and both fetuses had to be alive with an estimated fetal weight between 1,500 grams to 4,000 grams confirmed by ultrasound within 7 days before randomization. Those that were excluded were monoamniotic twins, um, those twins with lethal fetal anomalies, or other contraindication to labor or vaginal delivery, including the second twin being substantially larger quote-unquote, than the first. Um, they also were excluded if they had a prior C-section with vertical incision or more than one low transverse cesarean section in the past. All right, Nick, so let's talk a little bit about the methods. So how did they manage um, these patients and what outcomes were they looking for? Yeah, so ultimately, no, the plan for the strategy was going to be delivery by cesarean or by labor induction planned between 37 and 5 and 38 and 6. If the patient was in the cesarean delivery group, if the first twin came in in spontaneous labor and delivered vaginally, then a C-section was attempted for the second twin if it was logistically possible, um, was the description of the paper, which that's kind of scary to think that you're like, oh, go straight to that C-section. As you remember from the term breach trial, there are a lot of conditions and management strategies for the vaginal delivery group. And so in this vaginal delivery group, that was the same, but there are some key points here. Continuous fetal monitoring or cardiotocography was recommended during active labor officially. The use of oxytocin and epidural analgesia were left to the OB providers. And after delivery of the first twin, the use of ultrasound was quote-unquote encouraged to check the second twin presentation at that time. 
if that twin was cephalic, amniotomy was actually delayed until the head was engaged and vaginal delivery was anticipated unless there was some other OB indication requiring um, amniotomy prior to that. If the presentation was non-cephalic, the OB then decided on what they felt was the best delivery option. So that could be spontaneous or assisted breech delivery. It could be a total breech extraction plus or minus internal pedalic version. It could have been an external cephalic version followed by vaginal cephalic delivery um, or an intrapartum cesarean delivery. The deliveries in this study were attended by qualified OBs experienced in twin delivery and in this study, similarly to the term breach trial, it was defined as an OB who judged themselves to be experienced at twin delivery and whose department head agreed with that judgment. All right, and then Faye, let's talk about what we were looking for. What were the outcomes? So the primary outcome here was fetal or neonatal mortality or serious neonatal morbidity assessed up to 28 days after birth. Morbidities that they included were a lot of the same ones as in the term rage trial and were serious neonatal morbidities. Um, and for the sake of brevity, we won't list all of them out. Um, the secondary outcomes was looking at maternal death or serious maternal morbidity assessed, again, up to 28 days after delivery. And again, this was all defined um, very similarly to the term breach trial, so we won't um, go into all of them one more time. Um, a number of subgroup analyses were planned for the primary outcome, including things like subgroup analyses by nulliparity, gestational age at randomization, maternal age, presentation of the second twin, chorionicity, um, and perinatal mortality rate in the mother's country of residence. All right, Nick, so let's move on to the results. Um, what did they find? So as you mentioned, Faye, um, they had 1,392 patients in each group, and those were maternal patients. For the cesarean group, that amounted to 2,783 fetuses or infants and 2,782 fetuses and infants in the vaginal delivery group. Baseline characteristics overall were really similar between these populations, and most of the patients, that is 82.5% of them, underwent randomization between 32 weeks and zero days and 36 weeks and six days. Um, more than half of the infants in both the vaginal delivery and the cesarean group ultimately were born at 37 weeks or later. Just to break that down a little bit further, 5-6% to 6 in each group were between 32 weeks and 33 and 6 weeks, so early preterm, and then 42% were between 34 weeks and 36 and 6, or late preterm. The time from randomization to delivery was similar but slightly different between groups. It was 12.4 versus 13.3 days in the cesarean and vaginal delivery groups respectively. That did come out as statistically significant, but whether that's truly significant, kind of not sure. In the planned cesarean group, you had 90% of patients who had a C-section, 1% had that combined vaginal cesarean delivery, and then 9% had both twins delivered vaginally. 60% of the C-sections were performed before the onset of labor. And in the vaginal delivery group, 56% ultimately delivered both twins vaginally, 4% had a combined vaginal cesarean delivery, and then 40% had a cesarean for both twins. Um, of those in the vaginal delivery group who ultimately had a C-section, about two-thirds, 67.5% of them were performed during labor. Um, or to look at it another way, a third of them had a C-section prior to labor for some reason. 95% um, of the deliveries had that experienced OB present according to their definition. 
so again, kind of looking at those groups and maybe if you remember from that term breach trial, you're seeing a couple things that pop out to you as sort of like problematic, but actually I think overall um, they did a little bit better job with this, but let's save that for the end. We'll talk more through the analysis. Um, what did we find, Faye, in terms of those outcomes? Yeah, so in terms of the primary outcomes, um, the frequency of the composite primary outcome didn't differ between the planned C-section and the planned vaginal delivery group. So um, there was only 60 in the C-section group, or 2.2%, and 52 in the vaginal delivery group, or 1.9%. And the only variable that appeared to modify the risk of the primary outcome was earlier gestational age at randomization. Um, the number of deaths in each group was 24 or 0.9% in the cesarean delivery group and 17 or 0.6% in the vaginal delivery group. And 11 of these deaths in the C-section group and eight in the vaginal group um, had occurred before labor onset. So again, something to think about, um, especially because that was also the way that they reported some of the deaths in the term breach trial. In terms of subgroup analyses, there were no significant interactions with the primary outcome um, with respect to things like parity, gestational age at randomization, presentation of the second twin, chorionicity, or national perinatal mortality rate. The second twin was more likely than the first to have the primary outcome, but this was not different between the C-section and the vaginal delivery groups. In terms of the secondary outcome, there was no difference in primary maternal composite outcome rates. It was 7.3% in the C-section group and 8.5% in the vaginal delivery group. All right, Nick. So now knowing that it, it didn't really seem that there was that big of a difference in terms of anything in their primary or their secondary outcomes, what was the impact of all of this? Yeah, so this paper, I think, has certainly helped to encourage training and planning of vaginal delivery of a second twin, um, including no breach delivery, stating basically there's no increased risk seen with a policy of planned vaginal delivery. And I think as we mentioned in the last podcast, Faye, no, when we said how many planned breach births had we done? None. But yeah. plans, no, plan for vaginal delivery of twins, I think actually we do with a fair amount of frequency. Right. Um, and in Bulletin 231 from ACOG that's on multifetal gestation, it states that vaginal delivery of a non-cephalic second twin is quote-unquote reasonable provided an obstetrician with appropriate experience is present. And I think that, you no, know, that's a good takeaway. And it's also really key that, you know, with this particular trial, especially in comparison to the cousin term breach trial, there was a lot more emphasis on patient counseling and selection, right? And we hinted at that with the term mm -hmm. breach trial and some of the data from things like Promota, even though that was observational. Um, again, in this study, rather than most of the randomization happening at the time of labor, there was a 13-day median from randomization to delivery. There was also protocolized assessment of the EFW or estimated fetal weight by ultrasound within seven days of that randomization. And so that was also like really, really key. And then 95% of deliveries were attended by an experienced obstetrician. Um, and I think too, when you read the paper, there was a lot of conclusions where this was heavily implied, stating, you know, only centers that can provide OB management as specified by this protocol, including the ability to perform a C-section within 30 minutes if necessary, should undertake breach extraction or delivery mm -hmm. of the second twin. Um, and so, you know, while caveats, I think overall this responded in a lot of ways to some of the criticisms of the term breach trial and represents like a more appropriate way to select patients. And Faye, probably methodologically too, there are some improvements here. 
this group definitely responded to some of the criticisms of the term breach trial. So the first was there was an improved randomization scheme that was block-based, stratified by gestational age and parity. And so remember last time, one of the criticisms that we said was that because there was no um, block-based and stratification, that potentially you could have places where um, there wasn't very experienced obstetrician who just never got to showcase their skills, for example, for a bridge delivery. They also had improved use of ultrasound and um, continuous monitoring in labor, as well as higher standard of care at all sites to prevent misappropriation of the primary outcome. And of course, as you stated, Nick, before, there was more explicit counseling um, happening weeks before delivery on average rather than in labor, as was seen during the term breach trial. And finally, in terms of the impact of this study, and most importantly, this represents a well-selected, high-resource, best-case scenario work. So for our U.S. listeners who mostly practice in centers where there is ability to perform C-sections within 30 minutes, the twin birth study included twins that delivered between 32 weeks and 38 weeks and 6 days with EFWs estimated within 7 days of delivery, ranging from 1,500 to 4,000 grams, and if the second twin was not significantly larger with expert opinion, putting this around a max of 15% discordance. So certainly we would only say that this trial tells us about the outcomes with these specific selection criteria. Also, as we said, there needs to be the ability to perform C-section within 30 minutes, the use of um, external fetal monitoring, as well as intrapartum ultrasound, and with someone with experience and the ability to perform a breach extraction and or internal pedalic version that's available for the delivery. Actually, Faye, I think that was perfect as like a really nice summary of this podcast. Thanks for doing that. Oh, yeah. Well, you wrote the outline for this. So (laughs) thank you for reading the study and sharing it with all of us. So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed the podcast today, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on social media on Twitter at Creogs Over Coffee One, on Facebook and Instagram at Creogs Over Coffee. And if you want to support the show, you can go to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Creogs Over Coffee. You can find show notes for this episode as well as all of our previous episodes and that Rosh Review Question of the Week on our website, CreogsOverCoffee.com. And if you have suggestions for us or corrections or just want to say hi, email us at Creogs Over Coffee at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.